while we're getting set up and ready, open your Bible to Second King, or First Kings, rather. Did I put Second Kings on that sheet of paper y'all got? Okay, would you change that to First Kings chapter 17? Sorry about that. We've been preaching for the last two Sundays, and then today, and this will be our last message in this series, unless the Lord uh, does something different. Next month, our way we feel led right now, we're going to be preaching about praise, worship, and thanksgiving, leading us up to thanksgiving. We're going to talk about the purpose of thanksgiving, the power of thanksgiving, the people of thanksgiving, and then the results of thanksgiving. So we're going to look at those things next month. Then the following month, we're going to be, if the Lord continues to lead and, and bless us in this way, we're going to be uh, preaching messages about the prophecies of the coming of Jesus Christ and how He fulfilled those. And we're going to be bringing that up to our Christmas uh, time that we'll be celebrating together. So we're looking forward to that. It's an exciting time of the year. I love this time. You love the holiday season. I love to think about Thanksgiving. It's just a special time. And then Christmas and New Year, starting a new year and moving on with the Lord. And So we're looking forward to that. But today, we still want to talk about the power of little things. So if you have your Bible open with me this morning, and, and I want to read this, the 16 verses that we're going to read, but you come right with us as we read this because there's a purpose for it. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And I want you to notice he said at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook. Brook, I'm highlighting some things here. A brook is a small stream. By the brook Tirith, which floweth into the Jordan, and, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens, and not a, you notice it's not a food wagon, food truck, but the ravens, they're a bigger bird, but they're still small in comparison to Mama standing in the uh, kitchen cooking supper, right? So, to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he, for he went... And stayed by the brook Cherith, which flowed into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Just a widow woman. You'd think if he's going to send him somewhere to eat, at least he'd set him up with a rich man. But he said, I've provided a widow. I've already dealt with this. I've got it in motion. And you go there and you find this widow. And in those days, from what I could understand, 90 to 95% of the widows were usually among the poor people. So we're seeing little things, okay? Small things. So he rose and went to Zarephath, and when he had came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel or a little piece of bread in your hand. 
So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. In other words, she said, I've not got a bakery going on in my house. I don't have anything cooked. All I have is a handful of flour and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks. The old King James says two sticks. Gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and for my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So he went away and did according, she went away and did according to the word. Now get a hold of that. She did, she took what she had and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah, by Elijah. Now, I read that long reading, and you may think, well, According to your outline in the bulletin, what you read, don't go along with that. But you bear with me for a few minutes, okay? An old song we used to sing in the church years ago, whenever I was a kid growing up, was little as much if God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame, there's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. And you say, well, the name of Jesus is not that much. But the name of Jesus, as we've already established here this morning, is so powerful that it can break chains, that it can heal sickness, that it can calm storms, that it can cast out devils, and, and we could go on and on with that. See, the name of Jesus, Jesus Himself was in the beginning with God, and everything that God made, everything that was made in the beginning, Jesus was the agent in making all of that, because by Him were all things made, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So, uh, when we think about these little things, there's a positive side and there's a negative side to them. The positive side to it is that we can take the little things that we have, our little abilities, our little understanding, uh, our little efforts sometimes, but when we do it in the name of Jesus, it can become something big. So if you notice this little widow woman, she said to Elijah, all he wanted was a little, a little cake. And she said, I don't have anything but a handful. Now think about that. A handful of meal is not enough to make a, a feast for three or four people. I mean, of course, you could batter a whole bunch of green tomatoes with it, couldn't you? I hadn't just thought about that. But they didn't batter and fry back in those days. They baked and, and, and broiled and, and did it that way. So anyhow, she said, all I've got is a handful of meal. And sort of like the that uh, Andrew said to Jesus, said, we've got a little boy here with five loaves and two fishes, but what is that among so many? And so many times we think, well, what is my handful in comparison to what everybody else can do and what everybody else does do? And, you know, when we take that little bit and begin to, to give it to God and, and, and use it to glorify Jesus with that little can become a lot. Let me remind you of something here. You remember about four years ago when we wanted to pave the parking lot and when we and and in January of that year how the Lord spoke to me and said, Believe him 
for the money to pave the parking lot with and pave it by the middle of the summer. And so, you know, I thought, well, you know, we need we need $19,725 was the price that they had gave us and we barely had $3,000 in an account that could take that we could that was to be used for that. But you know, we begin to believe God and week after week people gave what they could. Now think about that. People gave what they could. Sometimes people gave little because that's what they had. And other times people would put in more than that. A lot of times folks was putting in a little extra with their tithe. But I'm here to tell you that, that from, the, from the 1st of January until the 1st of July when we called the paving company and told them to come ahead and do that work, folks, there had been close to $17,000, I mean, yeah, $17,000 that had come in. And the reason was is because people, and I can, I can look back on, on, on some of those envelopes. I wish I'd have kept them just for, just for having them. But sometimes it would be $10 for the parking lot, $15 for the parking lot. And then we did those couple of offerings on the first Sunday in May and the first Sunday in July of that year. And those two times together, we got about $6,000. But the other, it just came. It just came. Why? Because everybody did what they could do. You see, that's the thing about God. We need to realize this. There's some people that have greater abilities to give than other people do. And with God, it's not equal gifts. In other words, someone may can give 100 on something, but somebody else may not be able to give but 10. So it's not equal gifts, but it's equal giving. Everybody doing what they can to see it come to pass. Now, I, didn't, I didn't get up here to, to, to come along this line, but it, the Lord just opened it up. And we're going to walk right into it because you see we got a building that we want to do, and and we'll get it done the same way. Is that everybody doing what they can do? And you know if it's ten, fifteen, twenty, a hundred, five hundred, fifty thousand. <laughs> Thought I'd throw that in too. You know, I don't guess we had anybody to win the lottery. That was in South Carolina. I do hear the. The, the Powerball had two winners. But I don't reckon there's any of us. I hadn't heard anybody say. So anyway, but it's just doing what we can do. That's what it comes down to. And Elijah said to her, all I want you to do is what you can do. And you can make me a small cake and bring it to me. And once you make that small cake and bring it to me, then you make one for your son. And, and I'm sure this would have thinking with a handful of meal, and I, am I going to be able to make him a cake, me a cake, and my son a cake? Because, see, I don't even have enough oil to do it with. But, folks, when we take what we have, as what little or big it may be, when we take what we have and commit it to Jesus, He's able to take that like He did the five loaves and two fishes we talked about two Sundays ago. He's able to take that and multiply it to where that we see great results. Now, I'm going to just tell you something that, that may seem a little far out. There's been times that we've had a dinner back here, and when we'd walk in and see the table, I'd think, my goodness, there's a lot of people here today for no more food than that. But we just believe God. And God would bless that little bit of food 
to where that everybody would have plenty to eat and there'd be food left over. We've had that time after time. After, and y'all all know that. Time again. So we take what we have, regardless of how big or little it is, and it's not going to be any good unless we use it to glorify God. And I'm not talking about just in what you give. I'm talking about what you have in life. Some of the happiest people I know are some of the poorest people as far as society goes. Why? Because they're content. You say, well, I'm never going to be content with being poor. And, and But, you know, to those folks, they don't know they're poor. That's like whenever I was in school coming up, we were poor. I didn't know it. I mean, you know, I know I only had two pair of pants, two shirts, and we had to change clothes all the time. I thought everybody did that, you know. I didn't know that there's some kids that went home from school and wore their clothes till they went to bed. We, we never had it. I didn't know that we were poor. And, and the thing about it is, when we'd eat, man, we sat down to eat, there was always plenty on the table. I've told folks a lot of times, when we sat down to eat at our table, there was hundreds of good things on our table. Hundreds of good things. On this end of the table would be a bowl of pinto beans, and on this end of the table would be a bowl of pinto beans. Hundreds of good things to eat. But what I'm saying is this, folks. We need to learn how, as far as this earthly things goes, we need to learn how to be content. One reason that America is in such debt today is that we don't know how to be content. And one reason that the church, I'm talking about the church as a whole, cannot fulfill the missions that they feel like they need to do is because that the people in it are not content. And and we so many times, we, we, we use it after our own lust instead of honoring God with what we have. Thank you all for the amen. I appreciate that. Because it's the truth. We do. You say, well, well, I'm not going to work and give it all away. God is not wanting you to work and give everything you got away. Now, He may call somebody to do that. He's never called me to do that. If He had, I pray that I would be to where I could do that. Don't you? I mean, I read a story not long ago of some missionaries that, that had... They were, had worked in, in, in their jobs, had got a college education, and they worked, they had real good jobs, had a nice home and two automobiles. And then God called them to be missionaries to go to Africa. And they couldn't get anybody to support them, so they ended up, they were so understanding of this call that they ended up selling everything they had they, they quit their jobs, they cashed in their IRAs, they sold their house, they sold their automobiles, and went to the mission field. And they stayed five years in Africa, a poverty-ridden nation, and when they came back to America, God had worked that thing to bless them with more than they had when they went there. See, little is much when God is in it. So we can take that handful. We can take that little oil and we can give it to Jesus and see what He can do with it. So, uh, like I said, I didn't come to preach that this morning, but I thought I'd share it with you. Um, somebody said something about us getting out at 11, but that's not going to happen. Maybe. So bear with me. we got dinner here. We've got sandwiches, plenty of good sandwich stuff back there. And we got more than just a small, okay? we got a lot. He said here that Elijah said to King... It's not going to rain except at my word. My word. 
And then he, the word of the Lord came to him. And, and when God spoke to him, it was more than just one word. Sometimes a word can be just a single word. Just one single word can come, or it can be a group of words. And we need to understand that words can tear down, but words can build up also. We need to be selective of our words. Folks, we never know what somebody's going through. We need to, we need to understand that, that people deal with criticism all the time. You do, I do, you do at jobs, you do at home. And, and you know, there's two places that we ought not to have to deal with criticism. That's at home and at church. You say, well, what if something's not right? Well, there's a way of doing things. We can speak the truth in love and not just be critical of everything that, that's going on. And, and you know, here's, here's something that I always enjoyed. When I worked at the public job, when I come home, one of the first things... It would be Loretta would be standing right there. And just to hear her voice was a comfort to me. I tell men all the time, they'll say, man, what are you in such a hurry to get home for? I say, that's my safe place. That's the place I go to. I don't have to worry about a whole bunch of junk there. That's my safe place. Because, see, when I go in the door, she's not raring and fussing and going on about everything that I didn't do or needs to be done or anything like that. She's just there, and she she kisses me, she hugs me, and she just there. Sometimes she'll say, how did your day go? And if I don't want to tell her, I'll say, I just want to talk about it and go on and just let it go. But we need to learn how to choose our words. People deal with enough negative stuff all the time. We don't, we don't need that, folks. We need to learn how to choose what we, what we speak. In uh, Proverbs chapter 25 Verse 11, I'm going to read this from the message translation. You'll see it in the New King James. The right word at the right time is like a custom-made piece of jewelry. Think about that. This says apples in gold of gold and settings of silver. And I, I see that as being like a, a centerpiece on a table. I just can picture it that way. How that, you know, instead of being artificial plastic or wax apples, these apples are made out of gold and they're in this just real beautiful silver uh, vase or uh, what, do you, what would you call it? Uh, a dish, tray, thing that looks real good. Okay? Right in the middle of the table. Centerpiece. Is that, I'm get, am I getting there? All right. Y'all got the picture now, haven't you? Beautiful, shiny, silver, and it's full of these real shiny gold apples, and it's just pleasant to look at. That's what words that are fitly spoken are. Words that you think about before you say it. Words that are used to build up, not tear down. Words that are used to encourage, not discourage. Words that are used to, to influence. People in a good manner, in a good way, not to bring them the other way. And I like that. The right word. The right word at the right time. Proverbs fifteen twenty three, it says, A man has joy by the answer of his mouth. And a word spoken in due season, how good it is. And Isaiah 50 and 4 says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned. Now listen. People say, I have trouble doing that. Okay, I'm giving you a verse. Giving you a verse to help you to be able to say the right thing at the right time. Have you ever said, man, I just don't seem like I can say the right thing? Any of y'all ever 
Am I the only one that's ever experienced that? You know, it seems like everything I say is wrong. Hello? <laughs> Thank you, dear. Here's how we get to the point to where that we can speak the right word when we need to. It says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned. In other words, he says, God is helping me to learn some sense about this. Where I can speak the things I need to. Where that, that whenever I, I have to get on to my children, and you know, we have to get on to our children sometimes, don't we? Even adult children sometimes. Okay? But, and uh, no, we don't have to get on to adult children. I, I said, well, Lord, if I... I I did it when they were at home. If they can't handle it now, you know, I want to speak words of encouragement to them. Now, but how many times do we just get so that we say things to our children that we later regret? Just because it just seemed like it fit good. We need to get, we need to get beyond it. You say, what are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about. You know how you deal with your children. People say, I just have so much trouble. Well, listen to the Word of the Lord and believe what God said in His Word. Hey, here's your confession that you need to be making every day over your communication with other people. Husbands, wives, parents, children, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, co-workers, students at school, everyone. This is things that you need to be working on right here. He said, because the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how. Everybody say, know how. That I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. God wakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learn. Lord, teach my lips to speak the right things. Help my heart to be right so that out of my mouth comes forth good things and I'm not speaking evil things out of my mouth. Help me with this, Lord. And as you quote this verse and make that your confession, folks, I believe you'll begin to see your conversation style change and you'll be the one that will be speaking the right word at the right time for the person that needs it the most. We never know when someone's weary, when someone's hurting when someone's having trouble, and we want to get up in their face. They don't need us up in their face. They need us encouraging them with the right words, and God can give you the right words. See, the, the right word coming from you as a Christian may be the very thing that changes that person's life, that touches them to help them see the love and the grace of God. You know why so many people got a, a bad opinion of God? Now, this is an out. This is an old me I'm fixing to say now, okay? They got a bad opinion of God, and they don't think God's going to deal right with them because God's people's not dealing right with them. Mm. They see the way that we treat them. They see the way we treat each other. They see the way we talk about each other, the way we put each other down at this church and that church and this group and that group, that we put them down. And you know, this is one thing I'm so thankful for, things like this community gathering we're having this afternoon. There's nine churches coming together for that. And, and we, we work together. And I, I thank God that I don't see that or hear of it anywhere else 
in, in this part of the world where churches can come together of different backgrounds, different denominations, and, and different core. I mean, we all got the same core beliefs. We all believe that Jesus is the Son of God, died for the sins of the world, and resurrected and, and ascended to heaven and soon coming again. We've got that. That's what gives us salvation. And we're not trying to outdo anybody. We just want to do our part and encourage them to do their part and come together so we together can minister to people and they can see the love of God among us. And who knows, this afternoon there, we may be able to speak a word to the one that's weary at the right place at the right time. And you say, well, if I was a pastor, I'd be that way. No, 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 no. You're a child of God. This is our responsibility together. Proverbs 12:25 says, Anxiety or worry in a man's heart weights it down. Think about that. People worry. But an encouraging word makes it glad. That's amplified translation. Anxiety, worry in the heart of people. You can, you, you can look at people so many times and, and you can see worry on their face. And when we can speak a good word to them, when we can speak an encouraging word to them, it can lift them up out of that worry and that anxiety. Just let them know that we're there. Just let them know we care. Just let them know we love is an important thing. Then Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. No corrupt word. You say, well, now look, preacher, I don't curse, and I have you to know that. Well, there's more ways to have corrupt words than just cursing, okay? Cursing or being vulgar, taking the name of the Lord in vain, and, and using little four-letter words and three-letter words and compound words and hyphenated words. And y'all, y'all get the picture? Y'all understand what I'm talking about? There's more ways for corrupt communication. Now, let me tell you, that is corrupt communication. Grown people... And I'm talking about all people, especially Christians, ought to be able to talk and communicate without using that kind of language. But whenever we sit and listen to it in songs and hear it and watch it on TV and allow it to come into our living rooms, there's so many times we don't realize that gets in us. And it's so easy for us to respond that same kind of way. We don't need to let that happen. You say, preacher, you're just, you're just nitpicking. No, I'm not. The more you hear of anything, the more apt it is to come out of your mouth. When you hear it, it goes in here. Oh, I don't pay any attention to that. Okay, let me be around you next time somebody makes you mad as you're driving down the road. I didn't mean for it gets quiet. I thought maybe somebody would say, Amen, or yeah, that's right, Pastor. Can we ride with you? Sure. You drive. <laughs> no corrupt communication. Corrupt communication are negative words. Corrupt communication is words that put people down. You say, well, sometimes you have to deal with that. Yes, you do, but you deal with it in love and you choose the right words. Why? Because you're the learned. You're the ones that God has called. You're the ones that God has anointed. You know, the problem with most words is they originate from a tongue. In James chapter 3 and verse 2, he says, For when we all stumble in many things, 
And if anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. And he goes on and he talks in the next several verses down through there about descriptions of the tongue. See, he, he says it's like putting bits in a horse's mouth. You put those bits in his mouth, you can lead him anywhere you want him to go, or a rudder on a ship. That rudder turns that ship. You just got back off a cruise there, Sister Brenda, and that rudder, everywhere that, every time that ship turned, there's a little bitty rudder. I, I mean just a very fraction of the size of that ship turned that ship. And that's the way the tongue is in our mouth. He said it's like a fire that sets on fire. It's like a match that set on fire a whole forest. But he said this, he said it's set on fire of hell. And what he means by that, if we don't guard this thing, hell can get a hold of it, and hell will come out of it. Especially when we put under pressure. Thank you all for the gift. Because after this message, I might not have got it. (laughs) When we ask God to help us, He'll help us. If I commit my heart to Him, He'll help my heart. If I commit my words to Him, He'll help my words. If I commit my tongue to Him. And we're going to be learning a whole lot about that next month in praise and worship and thanksgiving. Because all praise and worship and thanksgiving has a verbal inclination involved in it. Every bit of it. So we're going to be seeing that. But we give it all to Him and He takes it. Let me go into another area here for a minute. And that's the air of a little sin. You ever heard of a little sin? That, that uh, term, little sin, there's a, a name for it where you got something and something altogether opposite. Because, folks, when it comes right down to it, there's no little sins. But the way we look at it, they're little sins. Right? But would you agree with me that sin's a sin? But we don't look at it that way. Little sin, a little sin here, a little sin there. The Bible talks about sin and uses leaven uh, as an emblem of sin or impurity. And and God did not forbid them to ever use leaven. And and I thought about this. I said, Lord, if I go there, then people's going to think you hadn't forbid us to do a little sin. But He has forbid us to do a little sin. But when they came to the Passover and to their most holy feasts and convocations, They were to take the leaven out of their house. They were not to eat any leavened bread or bread with yeast in it. And they would even take it out of their house and put it outside of their house. And in many cases, they would take that and bury it in the ground so that it wouldn't even be around. And so it represents sin. Now, this little bit of leaven, this little amount, could cause a great big pile of dough to get leavened. You know, you take like, you're going to make a big old batch of, of yeast rolls. And you put one or two little packages, which may be two or three tablespoons of yeast, in that. But it makes that whole thing blow up. And that's what he's talking about here. In Galatians chapter 5, this is what Paul said in verse 7. You ran well. And I want you to notice he's talking about Christian people here. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from Him who calls you. Now listen, what I'm saying is this. God is such a loving and merciful God. God knows all about us. 
But God has never given us an excuse or a privilege or an out to sin. All through the Word of God, even in the New Testament, He keeps talking about that our goal and our aim should be to not sin. Our goal should never be to sin and just see how much grace God will give us. See, Paul talked about, about that in Galatians chapter 5. He talked about the grace of God and how that the grace of God was so great. And he went right on into chapter 6 of Romans, and he says, What then shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall we continue to practice some sin? Because the more sin, the more grace. And, and, and listen, don't care how bad, sinful, ugly, and terrible this world gets, the grace of God's bigger than that. Aren't you glad? Don't make no difference how bad and ugly you have been, regardless of what you may have done. I'm talking about nothing excluded. The grace of God is bigger than that. But folks, when we come into the grace of God, our goal should not be to just get rid of some big things and hold on to little things. But our goal should be, as John said in 1 John chapter 2, sin not little children. Now he gives a but there, but if you do sin, the grace of God's there. But his goal, he said, sin not. And we need to, we need to come to the point to where that we rec- recognize that there's little things that we do that that leads to big things if we don't watch it. Because listen to what he said. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little bit of this causes the whole lump to get bad after a while. In Luke chapter 12, verse 1, listen to what he said. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trample one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and he names here part of that leaven, which is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. That means being something, pretending to be something that we're not. Or being something different than what we confess to be. I, you know, we, there's, th- there's things that we do in the world that's looking at us. And we need to understand that, hey, we're on display, folks. When you call yourself a Christian, you're on display. And the world is looking at us. And we don't want our life to be a hypocritical life. And, and when, we, when we do sin, when we miss it, we need to come before Him, repent, confess of that thing, repent of it, and then set our goal to overcome that thing in our life, not just keep doing it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Because after a while we get this attitude, I don't care what they think, this is my life, I'm going to live it like I want to. After all, he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He did. That's in Philippians chapter 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But, now chapter 4, rather, is Philippians. Chapter 2, I'll get it right in a minute. It's either in chapter 2 or chapter 4, you read the whole book of Philippians and you'll find this. The next part of that verse says, For it is God in you, both to will and do of His good pleasure. And God's not saying, That's all right, son. You go ahead and do that. That's okay, daughter. You, that's okay. That's okay this time. It's okay this time. No, grace does not say it's okay. Grace has said, Here, I forgive you, and I don't condemn you. Now I want to help you grow out of that. David and Bathsheba. Think about that. 
And you know, we a lot of times when we preach on this, we talk about it. We make David be the bad guy in all of this. But I wonder if Bathsheba had one out there and said, you know, that king walks up there. Man, I like that king. Now, I know my husband's going to speak to me. There's something about that king. And she may have, I don't know, I'm just supposing, okay? Because she never fought, she never resisted at any time, and and the child that they had became king later on. The first one died, but the second one became king later on. And I'm wondering if maybe she had not told her maidservant, so let's put the bathtub over this way a little bit tonight. And, you know, there's king, you know. Think about it. Little thoughts. Little thoughts. And I can picture David walking out, you know, on, on his roof of his house and looking over and saying, hmm, that looks like Uriah's wife over there. She's not a bad looking woman. And the next night, he's saying, see, she's out there again tonight. And Bathsheba's down there looking up saying, I wonder if the king's going to be walking on his roof tonight. And after a while, she decides to disrobe and take a bath, and David's standing there, like most men will do, goggled-eyed and just froze. i got to have that. You say, preacher, you're getting a little bit plain, ain't you? Well, you're thinking it already, so, you know. <laughs> now you from that point you know the rest of the story okay but think about this that started with the look off of the roof that's what it started with little thing you know that's like I heard I used to hear guys say this at work hey man all we're doing is window shopping no, you know, <laughs> little things, that little look, that little ad of pornography that jumps up on your computer, on your cell phone. You know, those things that come up on your cell phone. I was shocked. Man, I said, no more ads from this company. You know, I mean, they just, what in the world? You know, and kids are seeing this. That little look, a little sampling of drugs, a little taste of alcohol, a little touch, or look at someone can convey a lot at work, at friendship gatherings, at church. I have a pastor friend, and some years ago, he said that this kind of thing happened. That he said the, the prettiest lady in that church, and this guy had a pretty wife. I can't, I've never been able to figure all that kind of stuff out. A man's got a wife at home. Why in the world mess with somebody else's wife? Come on, amen. Yeah, but you don't know what I'm having to put up with. You don't know what you're fixing to get into either. He said that he began to notice that she would be looking at him, staring at him. When he'd be preaching, and he said it was more than just, you know, agreement with the message, but he said that, and he said before long he got to looking back. Looking back. Was that the old song? I was looking back to see if you was looking back to see if I was looking back to see. And that kind of thing went on. And they found reasons to touch elbows. To linger with a handshake. Until one day he was in his office and she came in the office and locked the door. 
little look, little touch, little word that seemingly is, is innocent to begin with. But that innocent thing can turn into a whole lot of stuff. That first drink that a young person takes. You say, well, there's nothing wrong with taking a drink. Ask any alcoholic that. Nothing wrong with experimenting little drugs. Ask any drug addict that. They'll tell you if I'd never had the first time with drugs or the first taste of alcohol, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Now, folks, we got, we got to understand that you and I have a life to guard. And, and, and my life that I guard is not only mine, but because I work to, to keep myself where I need to be and overcome these things, I'm guarding her life. And I'm guarding my children's life and my grandchildren's life, and the church's life, and all around us. He said, well, I ain't got all that responsibility. Yes, you do. You have the same responsibility. And, and, and if we know that there's a sin in our life, something that's not right with God, you and I have the responsibility as God's children to bring that before God and repent of that and, and, and confess it up and receive His forgiveness and begin to walk out of that. You say, well, Pastor, I don't, I don't people know i got something wrong in my life. <laughs> can I tell you? You can't hide it. It'll show up after a while. Little things. In the Song of Solomon, it talks about how that little fox has spoiled the vine. It's not the big foxes, not the big bad things. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. I was reading this thing. It said that, that the most deadly animal in the world is not a raging lion, stampeding elephant, or charging rhinoceros. And those are things that we think of, right? But the deadliest animal in the world is a mosquito. That little mosquito, experts say, has probably caused the death of half the people that have ever died. A termite, a little termite, causes more damage in America every year than earthquakes around the world. Termite. So don't think that, well, it's just a little thing and it don't mean nothing. Folks, it does mean something. And we have a duty. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency may be of God and not of us. And we have a duty to guard this and to keep it and to walk with it before God as God has called us to. Little things. In Ecclesiastes 10 and 1, Ecclesiastes 10 and 1, it says, Dead flies. Just little house flies. And I hate them, don't you? Oh, I can't stand for a fly to get out. You know? And I'm walking around with the fly swatter. About the time I get to it, it flies again. Ah, oh, I hate those things. I just can't stand them. But it says, Dead flies. Putrefy the perfumer's ointment ointment and causes it to give off a foul odor. It's not cows, horses, pigs, dogs, but little flies that get dead, that get in the ointment, can't get out. And that's what causes it to stink. And it says, so does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. A little folly there has the connotation of sin. Not just talking about having a good time, laughing, going on. It's talking about things that lead to sin. Sin. 
will cause the person that is doing it to be seen for who they really are. Jesus said, beware of hypocrisy. Folks, I, I know this last part of this message is a challenging thing because it's challenged me all week long. Uh, I've not had a good week. I've not enjoyed this part of my week. And the reason is because I've had to do some things. I've had to do some stuff here. In this, I came over here last night to get the bulletin ready so I wouldn't be in a rush to get it done because when I get in a rush to try to do it, I make mistakes and it's bad enough when you're not rushed for me, okay, for me. And I, I was walking back through the church and it was just dark in here. And man, it's, it's, it's hit me all over again and I sat down right there and just cried out to God in the dark. And you know, I was sitting there thinking, God, I don't want you to see me. Of course, He'd see me in the dark. I don't want you to see me because I feel like I feel like there's so many things. And I said, I, I definitely don't want nobody else to see me right now. I don't want nobody else to hear me. I heard a noise outside. And I thought, oh, no, here comes somebody in. Hear, but it wasn't. Nobody coming in. Because, folks, I'm going to tell you, after a while, when we realize that things are not right in our life, we come to a point to where we scab over it and go on. Only let that fester back out again or we get godly sorrow to where we deal with those things in our life. You say, Pastor, you're talking about being perfect. I'm talking about being right with God and walking in the grace that God has given us. Making full advantage of that grace. See, God's grace don't just get us to heaven. But God's grace gives us strength to live this life and to glorify His holy name. Bow your heads with me. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, for Your hand upon this congregation. Lord, help us all today to realize these little things that we do.